We are in Revelation chapter 16. I can tell you're excited as I am. Revelation chapter 16 can be tricky. Why is it tricky? Because it's the one passage in the Bible that most preachers don't like to preach on. Because it talks about God's wrath. And there are consequences for our actions. There are consequences for good actions. There's consequences for bad actions, for sin. And when it is defiant sin, God speaks to it in a mighty way. It says in the Bible that the sin of rebellion is similar and is compared to the sin of divination. Well, if you look at the sin of divination, how do you get there, generally speaking? You open yourself up to evil spirits, in a sense. That's that's the way you do that. How do a lot of people do that today? They do it through drugs and hallucinations. A lot of that stuff all comes before divination happens. Okay, so pharmacia is the same thing. They're all they all go together. And uh, that's what we're talking about here today. So God has deliverance for those people if you choose to have a relationship with his son. Does it happen overnight? Sometimes. Sometimes when you get it and you understand the thing that you've been looking for is a relationship with an almighty God, he will heal you right away. Sometimes he says, you got yourself into this, you need to walk yourself out of it too because you need to learn the lesson of how to restore somebody else when they go through this. And that's difficult because sometimes we just want, well, we always want it now, don't we? That's our, our society today. We want it instantly. We want to be healed and good and ready to go, and I'll never go back to that, but won't we? Won't we? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we never have a desire for it again, but sometimes, man, it is right there. It is right there. But we know our God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. He wants us to choose him instead of facing his wrath on judgment day. He cries for it. You look at the book of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. John is writing and he's saying, obey Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your rebellion because if you don't, this is what you're going to face. It is a warning. It's a plea. It's saying, stop what you're doing. You're in major trouble. Okay? When God comes all the way out of the earth, in a sense that he pulls all his believers out, he even backs the chosen believers that are up in heaven with him, he backs them out of the throne room with this thick smoke that we talked about last week, and he delivers the seven bowls of wrath, of God's wrath, onto the earth. And you can say, well, how can a loving God do that? How can you even explain that to me, that a loving God is a God of wrath? And I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again, because if a God is a loving God, he has a sense of right and wrong, doesn't he? And if he has a sense of right and wrong, there has to be a sense of justice, I think we even understand that there's a sense of right and wrong in our lives today that we have when we say things aren't fair. 
You can go to the, to the kids on the playground and you can see that it's not fair. You can go to the when things are fair or not fair. You, you didn't touch second base. You go to the ball diamond in the major leagues. What happens when you don't touch second base? You're out if they, if they catch you, right? God catches everybody, right? So if you don't touch second base while you're rounding, rounding you're out. And God says you have to follow the rules. I've given them plainly. They are simple. I've given you 10 of them. If you can follow those 10, you'll get to heaven. So if you can follow the 10 commandments and be perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect, you're good to go. Right? I'm glad it's that simple. What do we know about that? Nobody can do that. It is, it's that simple, but it's not that easy, right? Yeah, there's a difference there. It is hard to follow the Ten Commandments. Crying out loud, I broke, like Phil and I have talked about, we've broken every single one of them. Broken every single one of them. Because if you look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus breaks down the Ten Commandments, and he says, you said, her said, don't murder. I say, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've already murdered them. Oh, dear. <laughs> Did you say that now? Oh, uh... Um, uh, uh, sorry, you know, sorry's not good enough. What can I do to make it right? Repentance. God wants us to have repentance. Yeah, pray to him. That's an act of surrender, isn't it? When we pray, it's an act of surrender. And as we surrender to the Lord, it is amazing to see how he restores us and he makes it right. Right? So if a God is a God who is a loving God, he has to be a just God. He has to have a sense of right and wrong. And what happens to those who do wrong? They're punished. And it's a very severe punishment. But praise God, we are in an age of grace where we can choose him and we can turn around. So we're going to look at Revelation 16 we're going to look at a lot of God's wrath at the front side, and we're going to look at the, the redemption at the end, okay? And even right in the middle of God's wrath, there's a section of red. If you guys got red letters in your Bible, there's a section of red in there, and um, it's Jesus crying out a warning. And so it's like a break. It's a pause. Reader, pay attention to this, okay? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today, too. Revelation 16, 1 through 3, this is the New Living Translation. It says, Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. See the first angel. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had a mark of the beast who worshipped his statue. Where do we find those people? In in uh, Revelation chapter 13 is when they take that mark. And 14 uh, continues on is when they kind of get pulled out. And so everyone who takes the mark of the beast, they're in trouble. Then the second angel poured out his bull on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. I like that description, blood of a corpse, because we can see there's other places in the Bible where blood is a good thing, right? The blood of the lamb takes away the sin of the earth. That is not this blood here. A blood of the corpse is death. 
It's the opposite of life which you would get out of water. So God is pulling his hand back, and you can see it because everything in the sea is dying. Death is taking control. God's wrath. How does God's punishing rebellion sit with you? When we rebel against him, that is sin. How does that sit with you? Are you uncomfortable? I am sometimes. Are you sad? Yeah, I'm I'm sad sometimes too. Do you have a sense of urgency? Two weeks ago, I was listening to worship music. I'm listening to upbeat worship music, and I am weeping because there's people out there that don't know God like that. They don't understand there's a God who loves them so much that when they come alongside, it's like, if you only knew, if you only knew. And then I was listening to songs this week in the minor key and, and God calling us back and, and saying, repent, repent, and things. And I was, I was filled with joy because, which usually those, in the past, those songs made me sad. But now I'm filled with joy because I am that person and God's calling me back. I make mistakes. I have broken relationships I had to deal with this week because I broke them. And that was hard. It's hard. We are not infallible. Pastors are not. Uh, We also need communication, but um, we're not infallible. We mess up. Sometimes the mission gets before the people doing the ministry. And we want to make sure the people come first always. So... Sometimes it gives us a sense of urgency for ourselves. Sometimes it gives us a sense of urgency for others that don't know Jesus Christ, and that tends to be mine. So, but if it's for you, God has a plan for your life, and we can talk about that. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God chose to save us through our, through our Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ and not to pour out his anger or his wrath on us. And so in a sense, what it's saying that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will never face God's wrath. That's a promise that you can take to the bank. It is in his word. You can pray it back to him and you can say, this is what, so, and then maybe stick somebody's name in there. Lord, I don't want so-and-so to go to hell. I pray in Jesus' name that you would rescue them. What a powerful prayer. Right? You're putting all the authority where it belongs, in God's hands. You recognize the depravity of the situation, and you ask him to rescue. God's already there. He's already working in that person's life, right? Do you think God hasn't shown up? God, God's already there, right? That's the one, the one problem with short-term missions that I have is sometimes when we go into a short-term mission, I'm going to go down to, um, to Mexico. I'm going to build houses, which is great. It's a great thing to do, build houses for people that don't know. But then we're going to take them Jesus. Well, Jesus doesn't need to be taken. Then I'm going to come alongside Jesus in what he's doing in Mexico. That's a better way to look at it, right? Because Jesus is already there, right? He might be moving there more than he is here these days. Oh. But it starts here. It starts here in my heart. And so I need to be surrendered to him. I need to uh, turn myself over to Jesus, and then we can move forward. 
So how do we get there? These people, they have to turn away. They've turned away from God by their choice. They have chosen to worship something else. Sometimes it's themselves. And in this case, it's the dragon or the, his statue. Something that represents Satan. The gospel has been given, has been clearly preached to them. They choose not to turn from their sin. They choose their self-righteousness over surrender to a loving God. What's the advantage of surrendering yourself to a loving God? Are you going to be treated cruelly? No. You're going to be restored gently, aren't you? God restores gently. And so he will live life with you in a very gentle manner. Think about this. That song we said, he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of, his, of the wind of his mercy. Right? God loves us so much that he could break us because he loves us so much. But he pulls back, and so he comes in a gentle manner. That's what gentleness is. It's strength under control. I've said this many a time before as well, but do you want to have somebody who is strong without control holding your newborn baby? Jenica, do you ever want that? No. What about somebody who's weak but is very compassionate? You really don't want that person either, right? You want somebody that's got strength under control, right? So they're not like, oh, give him a bear hug. What are you doing, right? We had this kid in high school. He was a big old bear of a man, and he'd come up and slap you on the back, and you're like, knock you in the next week, right? That's not strength under control. Uh, but when he would pick up a puppy or he would uh, have a newborn, he was able to control that strength, and he was able to uh, be tender-hearted. That's what you're looking for, right? That's what God is. God is tender-hearted, especially to those who are broken. The point is, they, didn't, they chose their self-righteousness that they chose. It was their choice. It is our choice whether we're going to choose God or we're going to choose others, right? So we get to the first bowl. We have horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. This is interesting because they have chosen their God, right? Think about this. They chose to take that mark. So why aren't they crying out to that God to say, take it away from me? They don't even go there. They just say, it was you, God. You did this to us, and I am mad at you. Don't even ask to be rescued. That doesn't make any sense to me. If, if I get in a situation I can't handle, I'm asking God to rescue me from it. But that's not what they're doing here. I'm choosing myself. I'm choosing my own way. And if this is how I'm going to have to do it, then so be it. That's how it's going to get done. Ridiculous. I know. That's what God says to me every time I sin. Ridiculous, house. Come on. Come on, buddy. So, so, the, the reason why he doesn't rescue them is because he can't. He's not strong enough. 
is not strong enough. The God of this world is not strong enough to rescue us from the God that created this world. The second bowl, the cup of, or the blood of a corpse, symbolizing death. It pollutes the water. Water is life. It is clean. When it comes, it is polluted. It shows us that God is removing himself from the earth. The result is death. Let's continue on in 16, 4 through 7, and we'll see a little bit more of this. It says, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. What's the difference between the sea and the rivers and springs? One of them's salt water, and one of them's fresh water. He still has compassion to give them fresh water to drink. What are they going to do now? It's going to be difficult, isn't it? And I heard the angel who had authority over all the water saying, okay, listen to this. I think this is so interesting. It's like you get to this point where utter destruction, utter hopelessness is there. And this angel proclaims this. He says to God, you are just, O holy one, who is and who always was because you have sent these judgments since they, they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets and you have been given them the blood to drink. It, it is their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. Wow. That just... This is for the martyrs. This is, you could say it's for the 144,000. You could say for the multitude around the throne. It might be a little bit of both. Okay? But God is handing out his judgment on the earth for how they treated him and how they treated the saints. It was their choice, and now he is bringing retribution. The third bowl is on the fresh water. And then we have a proclamation of justice. God's sentence is just and true. Why? Because they've killed God's people. They've killed the Lamb of God. The Lamb was and is sinless. What does this show us about God's character? God is true. What he says is going to happen. He follows through. And God is righteous and steadfast in his love. Well, that doesn't look like a loving action. Well, love is a two-way street, right? You can pour out, but it also has to be received. And when God receives his love from his followers, he is faithful to uphold his followers, Right? They persecuted you. I said I would repay them. This is the payment for their persecution of you. This is the result. Following through with justice for those who are martyred, standing up for Jesus. How Did they have a choice? Yeah. Was it clear? Did everybody know the gospel message? What did we learn last week? That the angel went around and proclaimed to all the nations. He made it very clear in all their languages, all their nations, tongues, and languages. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And if we don't follow, we're in trouble. So we need to remember, our God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. He wants 
us to choose him instead of facing his wrath on judgment day. So how did they respond to this? Let's look at the next few verses in 8 through 14. It says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with his fire. Everyone was burned by the blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed God of the heaven for their pains and the sores, but they did not repent of the evil deeds and turn to God. And then the sixth angel poured out his bull on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their army toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap up from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, and they were demonic spirits who worked miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for the battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of the God, the Almighty. The fourth bowl. The scorching sun. Everyone was burnt by it. And their response was, it was you. You did this to us. I can't believe that you did this to us. Why did you let this happen? They don't turn to their God of the earth. It's, isn't it ironic that they see the power and authority of God in heaven? And yet they choose to worship this God that's, that's been cast down to the earth? Doesn't make any sense to me. They curse the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They do not repent of their sin. They don't turn to God and give him the glory. The fifth bowl, the plague of darkness. Now this plague of darkness is much like and is very similar to the language that's written of the one, the plague of, in Egypt. It's a thick darkness. And when they say a thick darkness, they can neither sit down or stand up. That's how thick it is. That's how oppressive it is in this darkness. It's oppressive, and in this case, it's painful because it says that their tongues curled up, yet they are still able to curse God. It just blows my mind away. They can barely speak, but when they choose to speak, they choose to curse God. That don't make no sense. Why didn't God tell them this was going to happen. Why didn't God warn them? Why didn't he say something? That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. That's what this is about, right? Yes, the Bible. Every time the, the people turn away from God, God has always sent a prophet to say, turn away from your sins, repent, repent, repent. John the Baptist came saying, repent, And believe, be baptized, turn from your wicked ways. Jesus said, come, repent, turn from your wicked ways. Follow me that you might have life and life to the fullest. And if you can find life in Jesus Christ, there is hope for you. The fifth bowl, the plague of darkness. We've gone through most of that. Let's see where we at. So why doesn't God tell him that? He has. He did. 
and he will, okay? He has, in a sense, God will curse those who turn away from him, the Old Testament, the blessings, and the curse, right? God warned them through his word. He, at the end of Deuteronomy that we read for call to worship this morning, God warned them and said in Deuteronomy 28, if you follow me and you, and you live in obedience, then it will go well with you. If you do not, it's not going to go well with you. And there is much more to both those blessings and the curses in the whole chapter 28, if you want to go back and read that. He did. Jesus came. Jesus has called the whole earth to repentance. Many have turned to him, and there will be a reward for that. And he will. He sent his angels to tell the people to seek God and turn away from their sins. Right? That is what the church's job is right now. We are called to call the people back to repentance, call them back to what God has done. And the sixth bowl, he dries up the Euphrates River, which makes me think that he's talking more specifically to the Israelite nation here. Uh, even in these, in these all six or seven of the plagues. Because the kings from the west are held at bay by the Euphrates River, and if they're able to march on them now that it's dried up, they're going to come to Jerusalem to take over. They're going to march on Israel. They're going to march on Jerusalem. Our God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. He wants to us to choose him instead of facing his wrath on Judgment Day. And then we get this little verse in there, John 16, 15. It's a great memory verse. By the way, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Right? Nakedness, ashamed, that has a sense of talking about sin. It talks about an act of rebellion, a turning away from the Lord. And it is a warning. Who is this warning to? The warning is to the reader of Revelation that we need to pay careful attention. Reader, pay attention. Okay? That's what this is. It's a little blip of Jesus Christ coming in and speaking and saying, pay attention. Look, I'm coming unexpectedly. You don't know where I'm going to be ready. Be ready in obedience. Following the Lord. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God doesn't want anyone to turn away from him. This is an urgent message not to be put off by anyone. It is time to self-evaluate. It is time to look and see where do I need to improve. I've... I'm struggling in this area. Or somebody's brought this to my attention that I need to work on. I didn't even know I had to work on it. That was me this week. Okay. I have some blind sin in my life. We can work with that because I have the grace of God to forgive. It's time to confess and repent and follow 
him. Then we need to tell others about his amazing grace. Sin can be a powerful testimony when it's been repented of. Right? This is who I used to be. But I was bought. I was purchased with the blood of the Lamb. Jesus came in and he changed me to be this. Remember that? I used to be this. When I was before Jesus, I was broken. I was lost. I was lost in my self-righteousness. But then Jesus happened. He gave me a heart for other people and I want to share the gospel for him. Do you got a story like that? 15-second testimony, remember? It only takes 15 seconds. And you end with a question. Why do you end it with a question? Because questions stimulate um, health and things, right? They stimulate the mind to think. Our God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. He wants us to choose him instead of facing his wrath on judgment day. Let's finish off chapter 16. Verse 16 through 21, it said, And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, "This It, it is finished. And then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck, and the worst since people were placed on the earth." The great city of Babylon split into three sections. The cities of many nations fell into the heaps of rubble. So God remembered all the Babylon's sin, and he made his, her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled. And there was a terrible hailstorm, and the hailstones weighed as much as 75 pounds, fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Once again, they cursed God. They didn't reach out to their God. They just focused on cursing their God. Interesting. It was also interesting, I, I heard an interpretation of in verse 19, the great city. Oh, is that right? A Babylon split into three sections, yeah. Now, in um, the New King James, it does not say of Babylon, okay? So if you look at it in, I don't even know if it says in the NIV, does it, Craig? It just says the great city, right? So you have to look to see, is, is that the great city? Because the, one of my commentaries, a couple of my commentaries I looked at, said that's Jerusalem, and it could be, but the problem with it is, and where I tend to go, is if you look at the great city throughout any, all the book of Revelation, is, is always talking about Babylon. It's always talking about Babylon. So the great city of Babylon is, I think, I, I, I concur with this passage in this time that is talking about Babylon. So that's where I went with it, okay? The seventh bull, Armageddon, the mighty shout that comes from the temple, the same shout as when Jesus took our sins away on the cross. It is finished. There's no more sin. We don't have to worry about sin anymore. This case, Armageddon, it is finished. Your rebellion is over. It is done. 
And we will read um, next, I think it's the next three chapters is about um, Armageddon, the fall of Babylon, the fall of the, the great dragon and things. It all goes into that. And uh, you can get an interpretation of what that means. But I've had somebody pestering me since we started the study of Revelation. Who do you think the great Babylon is? I think it is the kingdom of this world. Okay? It is the kingdom of this world, and it can be manifested in any government in the world. Okay? Because they want to say it, it's America right now. We have the potential to be Babylon. We are corrupt to the core as a government. We are in a very bad way. We have the potential to be Babylon. Are we Babylon? I don't know. I don't know. We have the potential to. China has a potential to. Anybody has a potential to. I know it's going to come from a government. I do know that. Um, and it's going to come from 10 kings that come out of the east. So... Maybe we fly around the world that way. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not going to go well for this kingdom. I know that. And God says, when he says it is finished, it comes a shout from the throne. It, it, both those times I think it's shout from the throne. Do I think it's God who's sitting on the throne? I don't know. I kind of wonder if it's Jesus right next to the throne. Okay? Because he's worthy to be able to shout those things. And that he also says it on the cross. He says it here. That's why I think those shouts are Jesus, okay? I can't, I can't say 100% sure I'm right, um, but that's where I tend to go. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, the lightning flashed, and the great earthquake shook. What does this sound like? Where do we see this in, the, in scriptures? Back in the Exodus, right? When Jesus, or when God meets with Moses on the mountain, we see the same descriptions. The earth cannot contain the power of God. It can't. And God makes all things new. He takes all the terraformed mountains that we have and he levels them flat. It makes me wonder when the first destruction of the earth, when uh, the flood came, if there was a major terraform. That I, I, I've said that before, but this really solidifies it for me that God terraformed the earth during the flood. It's like, well, why didn't we see this happening in this area or, or that? Well, because the earth was terraformed during the flood. And so that's how it comes out. How'd they land on the, a mountain that wasn't there before? Because the earth was reshaping underneath that boat. That's what I believe. I can't say that 100% fact, but this points to um, it being pretty strong. God remembered all of Babylon's sins. If you study Babylon in the scripture, it is always, it tends to be a figurative speech of the king of this world. Babylon, Mag, Gog, Magog, that battle, it's the same thing as Armageddon. It is all coming to, I believe it is anyway, it's all coming to a culmination that God's going to come face to face and face Satan, and he is going to cast Satan down to hell for a thousand years, right? And then he'll let him back up, and there, that's, that's all to come. Yay. Some people are like, hey, are, you, are we in the thousand years? I don't think we're in the thousand years yet. 
Um, God's still got some things to do. All these things. We have a terrible hailstorm. 75-pound hailstones. We're talking big old hailstones. They hit your house. Your house is gone. Your basement's gone. I mean, you are in major trouble. Do they turn to their king and say, save us, save us? To Satan, the king of this world. No, they all curse God. Why are you doing this? I don't understand. You can't do this to me. I am bigger than this. Sounds like a two-year-old, right, Phil? Let's get the, get the switch out, right? Yeah. I've been the guy that needed the switch. <laughs> they, they curse God because of the terrible plague. Even today, God is existing. He is extending his hand of grace to those who walk in darkness. God cares for everyone. Though that is why it's, it seems so long in his coming. 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is, isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed but he wants everyone to repent. This is what I've called from the pulpit, the age of grace. God is extending his hand of grace on us that we might have life and that we might live to know him in, in a regular way. Because if we go outside when it gets to tough times, there's going to be a point where the, they just curse God and die. And he doesn't want that. He wants all to come to him. So this is our time to tell our neighbors about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, you don't, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand how deep I've sinned. God could never forgive me somebody like me. Well, I can tell you what, my God's bigger than your God right now. My God is big. My God's love is so immense. It's so strong. It's so controlled, that he will meet you where you at. He will lift you up out of the mire, the clay. It doesn't matter if you turn over to a demon. God's bigger than demons. It doesn't matter if you've turned over to drugs, to addiction. God's bigger than those. It doesn't matter if you turned over to the God of self and only serve yourself. God's bigger than that as well. He is an awesome God. Can I get an amen for that? It is amazing. But he asked for obedience. That's what Revelation is about. Following obedience. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you in a new person by changing the way you think. And another argument is, well, I was born this way. I was born this way. Well, you might have been born that way. You might have. We are all born into a sin nature, aren't we? Are we not? We all have a, a nature that is grinding at us and saying, turn away from God, do it your own way, get your own pleasures. Everybody struggles with that. Everyone, I struggle with it. The elders struggle with it. The saints, we struggle. We admit that struggle. That's the difference. 
And then we listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 3. When we say, God, I was born this way. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He wants our spirit to be born again. He can renew you. He can transform your mind. He can metamorphosize you into something beautiful. He has the power and authority to do it. Isn't that awesome? Can I get an amen? Amen. We need to be born again. He will make all things new. Our God is slow to anger. He's quick to forgive. He wants us to choose him instead of facing wrath on judgment day. What are you going to do? Are you going to choose God? Are you going to choose that new life? Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you've stolen something. Maybe you've... uh, um, taking time away from your kids or maybe you've gotten addicted to something that really you shouldn't have had whether it comes to sexual pleasure the pleasure of power the pleasure of addiction comes in many different ways and shapes and forms not just drugs God can renew those people it starts with confession break the power of sin by confessing That's what brings us to communion this morning. When we come to communion, it's to remind us what Christ Jesus did for us. He suffered and died on the cross. And he asks us to do this in remembrance of him. And if there's angst between you and the loving God, you need to take time right now to get right with him. I'm going to start with a a small prayer, but you can take it in to uh, confession as I'm praying, elders, will you come forward and serve them? Lord Jesus, we ask for for your forgiveness. We recognize that we are sinful, that we cannot do it on our own, that we've tried to climb this hill without you, and we keep falling back to ground zero, Lord Jesus. We lay our burden at the foot of the cross and we give them to you, Lord Jesus. Forgive us of our unrighteousness. Lord, come into our lives today. May your spirit move us to restore relationships, to defeat addictions, to love those around us when sometimes... They're not very lovable. Lord, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. That's what you've come to do, Lord. And we ask that you would do that in our hearts, in our souls, in our mind, in our physical strength, Lord, this morning. All our being, we turn it over to you. Take some time to confess to the Lord.